Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, glad you're with us for the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We trust you had a great weekend and hopefully a, a good week in store. We've got good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. And Jim... This was a long time coming. On one hand, it's good. On the other hand, I think pretty much everybody who's now admitting this secretly or even not so secretly knew this as things were happening in Florida. But of course, uh, with Trump in office, you had to make Ron DeSantis a villain because he wanted to make things more open than closed. So the blue state governors who wanted to have things more closed than open in defiance of Trump, uh, they were the good guys, of course. Uh, So Ron DeSantis is having his legacy adjusted in a more accurate and positive direction. Uh, And even the New York Times is getting in on the act, although they can't let it go without making no sense and trying to criticize him. Uh, They say more than 32,000 Floridians have died, an unthinkable cost that the state's leaders rarely acknowledge. Miami-Dade County averaged more than 1,000 new coronavirus cases a day over the past two weeks. One of the nation's most serious outbreaks in Florida is thought to have had the highest concentration of B117, the more contagious virus variant first identified in the United Kingdom. Yet, Florida's death rate is no worse than the national average and better than that of some other states that imposed more restrictions, despite its large number of retirees, young partiers, and tourists. Caseloads and hospitalizations across most of the state are down. The tens of thousands of people who died were in some ways the result of an unspoken grand bargain. The price paid for keeping as many people as possible employed and educated, and some Floridians would argue sane. And uh, Jim, your colleague, uh, Charlie Cook, pointed out, where's the grand bargain here if uh, deaths are better than in lockdown states and as good or better than the national average, and the economy wasn't crushed in the process? <laughs> what's the what's What was given up here to make this happen? So uh, it's grudging admission of facts here, but at least it's coming. Yeah, and everyone who I've uh, spoken to or, or who sent me something on this uh, this New York Times piece today kind of has the same reaction of almost feel like all of the anecdotes, all of the reporting in the article is about how Florida seems to have managed the pandemic better than all these other states and that this is a surprising success story, particularly in the eyes of the mainstream media who really believe that Ron DeSantis was you know a maniac who was being dangerous and, and all of that. It looks like the, the reporting and the reporter may have turned this in and that somewhere in the editing process, it tried to turn into the, you know, the grim calculations and morbid trade-offs of Florida, even though it's not really there. Um, and the other thing that I would just kind of throw out here is a recognition that if you want to say, wow, they really haven't done, you know, they even have a better number than, you know, New York and New Jersey, which is where obviously the pandemic started, California. Um, But let's also keep in mind, in terms of percentage of your population that is 65 or older, this kind of surprised me. Florida actually ranks second. Uh, Maine actually is first. It's 20.6 versus 20.5. So it's not a particularly big difference. And these numbers are as of 2018. So it's possible maybe, you know, Florida jumped ahead. But, you know, you're talking about more than 4.3 million Floridians who are uh, 65 or older. So knowing that elderly are the most vulnerable to this virus, I'd argue that the challenge before Florida was even tougher than that of California or New York uh, or Illinois or any of these other big states you want to compare it to. Um, maybe warm weather helped a little bit. I 
think the you know evidence is going to point to the that temperature wasn't a huge difference or certainly didn't give you that much more protection there. Um, the New York Times came very close to, to pointing out and just kind of observing that this was, you know, st- you know, policies that they thought were terrible have turned out to be not so bad. And the state that was doing everything that was right, and I make air quotes as I say that, in the eyes of the uh, the left and most progressives and this idea of this, you know, th- that all life had to come to a screeching halt uh, because of this pandemic as long as it took, California has some really terrible numbers. And if you've listened to this podcast, you know the number of times we've ranted about Andrew Cuomo. So like, you know, the similar narrative of, oh, blue states are know what they're doing and they're wise and red states are reckless. It hasn't been borne out by the data. And the New York Times came really close to admitting it. And then it kind of backed away. Now, the other thing which I periodically like to tweak the, the mainstream media about, halfway through last year, I wrote an article saying that if you really wanted to praise Democratic governors, the guy who had done the best job of keeping cases per million and deaths per million the lowest was David Ige out in Hawaii. Now, they, they instituted a really strict... Uh, quarantine restriction, which effectively killed Hawaii's tourism industry, kind of important out there. And uh, I believe at one point their unemployment was like 22%, some sort of ungodly thing. But then you can also look at like Oregon, uh, Kate Brown out there. Uh, there was, uh, I think Montana had it really low. The Democratic governors who you haven't heard of are at least based on this measurement within the data doing the best job, not Cuomo, not Newsom, not uh, Whitmer out in, in Michigan. And it's kind of this frustrating that even if you set out to say, hey, Democrats are doing a great job, the media did it wrong. They, they didn't, they celebrated the wrong ones. They didn't credit the ones who did deserve the credit and they celebrated the ones who did not. If you really want, you know, I don't know how much they could even, if they even got into this in the article, there, Florida opened the bars for about a week and then they saw that this was turning into huge crowds that were not uh, in keeping with public health advice. And so they shut that down. So they, it's not that DeSantis is perfect. You can point to mistakes Florida made along the way, but they all corrected them pretty quickly. And it's just kind of interesting. They've, they've determined to stick to this narrative. They aren't even scoring the easy goal, so to speak. Oh, it's fascinating. So the question now becomes, after hundreds of articles about how horrible Ron DeSantis is, largely because he's an ally of Trump, uh, now they're giving him credit. So why now? Is it because the guy they were contrasting him with, Cuomo, is in so much trouble and they have to kick him to the curb? So let's give DeSantis some credit. Is it so they can say, oh, we eventually got the story right. Here's one article that corrected it after a full year of, uh, of a different narrative. Uh, because I assume they're still going after this guy uh, with, with both fists since he uh, appears to be a leading 2024 prospect for the Republicans. Uh, so why the grudging admission that he was more right than a lot of the Democrats now? I think this could be some damage control. Um, I also think it's worth keeping in mind that uh, Biden wants to open up the country safely. And then we have dis- we'll have disagreements about what exactly that constitutes. Right now, he's, he's setting the bar extraordinarily low. Oh, you're allowed to have immediate family members by the 4th of July and all that stuff. Yeah, I think we're, uh, I think the numbers are significantly better by that. We're doing a nice job of more than 2 million people a day. Um, and once you're vaccinated, are you capable of spreading the disease to somebody, uh, spreading the virus to somebody else? Yeah, but it's drastically reduced the normal and if the other people around you are vaccinated, you don't need to worry about that. So I think this might be a backdoor way of kind of nudging Biden to open up the country a little faster, not because the, you know, the, uh, if, if this is being done out of an ideological agenda, it's not necessarily that's the only motivation at work um, in the New York Times here. But if it was, it was like, OK, look, Biden's going to screw this up by being too slow to open up. The Republicans are going to get an advantage here. So this article is sort of a signal to other Democrats that it is OK to open up Florida has not turned into a, you know, uh, Mad Max hellscape 
because they had decided to open up the restaurants more than they did. Well, New York, other states, you perhaps can learn a lesson now that when you trust your citizens, your business owners to do the right thing, in fact, most of the time, freedom will get you a lot better results than government. Uh, And this appears to be another case of that. You know what else New York State could have used, especially in the governor's office? A good HR team. When running a business, HR issues can kill you. Wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, all sorts of things. And HR manager salaries aren't cheap. In fact, it's an average of $70,000 a year. But Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for small businesses. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. From onboarding to terminations, they customize your policies to fit your business. And they help you manage your employees day to day, all for just $99 a month. Month to month, no hidden fees, cancel anytime. Look, you didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time on HR compliance. So let Bambi help and get your free HR audit today. Just go to Bambi.com slash martini right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash martini. Spelled BAM to the B-E-E dot com slash martini. All right, Jim, we've talked about this bad martini uh, in a couple different ways, perhaps more in passing than in in detail. So let's do that now. It's the lead item in your morning jolt today. Uh, Kids in cages, uh, as you mentioned last week, was uh, a very crystal clear way, three words for the media to brand the Trump administration policies on the border as inhumane, uh, human rights violations, uh, some were saying, I think including Kamala Harris. Uh, and uh, something that absolutely had to stop. It was a stain on America, on and on and on. But now, with Biden's uh, policy, uh, of course, of no deportations for the first 100 days, other executive orders that open things up. We've talked about his plan for uh, pathway to citizenship within eight years. Hello, who's not going to try and take advantage of that, get in for the first 100 days, get to stay, possibly get in line for the amnesty, if not for actual legal immigration, which is the right way to do it. So we've got a human tide headed to the border. We've got more kids in these detention facilities for longer than they're supposed to be there uh, than ever were during the Trump years. Some media outlets are, are covering this, CBS talking about the conditions other uh, networks as well. The Biden administration won't call it a crisis. They won't really admit what's even happening there. They've sent some folks to the border, but I saw over the weekend that folks down there, even a Texas Democratic congressman saying they came, they never talked to anybody to actually get a handle on what was going on there. I think they just wanted the photo op. And so, Jim, the media is keeping this ridiculously quiet compared to how they've covered this issue during the Trump years and even before that. So, Obviously, things are not equal when this sort of thing is happening under a Democratic administration, but it's still uh, a serious situation. So why won't the Biden administration admit what's going on here and why won't the media call it fair? Yeah, well, actually, I think what's interesting is that this is starting to pop up on the major networks. And this is, you know, it's gotten become a loud enough issue that uh, you can't really say the media is ignoring it anymore. I think this is another hard lesson for the Biden administration. And arguably for their cheerleading, you know, fans in the in the media, that the world doesn't always work the way you you want it to work and you think it's supposed to work. Biden came into office and on the campaign trail, he had a lot to say 
about how terrible Trump's policies were and how inhumane. And you, you mentioned uh, Kamala Harris calling them a, a human rights abuse and all that kind of stuff. And then if you looked carefully on his website and in the official statements, there'd be this like pro forma and we're going to enforce our immigration laws. You'd want to say it was, well, this is open borders and allow everybody in. Immigration enforcement would still exist, but he just didn't really want to dwell on it. He didn't want to go to any great deal of length about it. He certainly wouldn't say it with any uh, passion or emphasis or, or underlining it in red or anything like that. Lo and behold, people all across Central America watching this concluded that one, once Biden was in office, the borders were open and they, it was very easy to get amnesty and that everybody could come into the United States if they wanted to. There was even an anecdote, I believe, uh, it was the New York Times, where they talk about, you know, migrants on the border. And some of them said Biden had promised us, you know, amnesty. Now, to his credit, he didn't say that, but he certainly, you know, he certainly left that impression. Well, now here we are. And it's, and you're starting, again, it's good to see members of the mainstream media saying that this is, um, you know, a record situation. We haven't seen this. They had, you know, I believe 4,000. 206, uh, sorry, 4,276 children in custody, which is up from 3,400 earlier in the week, like 25% increase in a matter of days. That's a really big deal. And they're saying this is going to be bigger than 2018, 2019. This is going to be bigger than what the Obama administration saw, uh, you know, in, in the tail end of the, of the Obama years. Look, we now have a humanitarian crisis on the border. Now, Biden used to run around denouncing the Trump created humanitarian crisis on the border. So now we're getting this hard lesson that, oh, by the way, these humanitarian crises on the border, maybe you can have the best of intentions. Maybe you can be, oh, I'm not like the Trump administration. I'm, I'm compassionate. I'm caring. I'm sensitive. I don't want to see these kids suffering. And I certainly don't want to see these kids in cages. I love this, um, uh, the euphemism used by ABC News, facilities similar to jail. It's not cages, Greg. It's a facility similar to jail. It's got chain link and all that kind of stuff. It's enclosed. It's bad, but it's not quite as bad as kids in cages. And of course, you know, our listenership is, is, you know, well-versed on this. They probably remember that the infamous photo that set off a great deal of outrage amongst Democrats uh, was originally taken at the uh, uh, Customs and Border Protection uh, Facility back in Nogales, Arizona, back in 2014 under the Obama administration. And, you know, then that's when the Biden would say, well, it's, it was totally different because we weren't separating kids from their parents. And, you know, um, these are very minute distinctions in terms of the treatment of the kids. And, uh, you know, the irony is like, I don't think the Biden administration wants to treat kids any less, uh, you know, than, with less than full compassion or in crowded situations or in situations where they're at risk of spreading coronavirus and things like that. But there's a whole bunch of people coming. And they just don't have the room. They just don't have the facilities. We're not built to equip a wave of people coming over our border on a regular basis. So how do you do it? Well, you send a very clear signal all across Central America. We're not offering amnesty. It's not easy to get asylum here. The weight in Mexico policy was working. If people, by the way, like if you're under threat from gangs or political oppression or something like that in Guatemala or Honduras or something like that, well, you're not at risk of them in the uh, border, uh, just you know, on, the, on the other side of the border. Mexico, the, the Guatemalan gangs are not going to hunt you down in, in northern Mexico. But lo and behold, people don't want to do that. Almost like they were coming here, not because they genuinely believed that, they, you know, they, not because they had a genuine plausible argument for a uh, asylum, but because they wanted to come to the United States. There's nothing wrong with that. Lots of people want to do that, but we want you to do it legally. And these folks didn't want to wait. And that's where we are here. And the, Obama, the Biden administration now faces this very difficult choice that you know, either you let everybody in and you become the amnesty president that Biden insisted he was not on the campaign trail, 
or they have to start enforcing immigration law and they realize it's not as easy as it looked from a campaign trail and you have to start doing some of the same kind of things that you thought were so mean and so horrible and such a violation of our values and such a stain on our country back when the other guys were doing it. That's exactly right. And they, uh, Democrats, of course, always look at uh, themselves as the humane people, uh, the, the people that care. And of course, uh, for people in desperate situations, the uh, possibility of a life in the United States uh, would be a huge upgrade. We obviously want them to do it legally. But what we never hear really from a lot of people, but especially from the Democrats, is what these people go through because they uh, want to pursue that dream. How do you think these kids get here? A lot of them aren't traveling with adults, and if they are, they're probably not their parents. Some cartel members and smugglers essentially rent kids. The kids get used by all sorts of different adults to try and get across the border, presenting themselves as asylum seekers. Kids, girls, women. uh, What do you think the cartels do to them on the way from Honduras and Guatemala all the way up to the border? It's really ugly. It's really brutal. And it's hardly ever talked about. So the humane thing is not what these policies are encouraging people to do. The legal process has a lot of advantages to it, and that's what should be advocated, not what Joe Biden's doing right now. Yeah, again, this is a, you know, there's this idea of how the world works. There's this idea of how immigration works that does not line up with the reality on the ground. And yet, because the reality makes people uncomfortable, people don't want to, you know, address it in the facts. They want to keep pretending that there's some sort of magical better solution that exists. All right. Well, let's uh, let's take a break here and talk about my pillow. But my pillow is more than just pillows. They give the same attention that they've given their pillows to their towels and sheets. And right now, three Martini Lunch listeners can buy one and get one free on all six-piece towel sets and the Giza Dream Sheet sets. My pillow towels use proprietary technology that makes those towels highly absorbent. They are soft to the touch without that lotiony feel. They have a ten-day warranty and a sixty-day money-back guarantee. They're washable, they're dryable, and they have seven colors to choose from. The MyPillow Giza Dreams bedsheets are made with the world's best cotton, making them ultra soft. The Sateen Weave gives them a luxurious finish and will have you sleeping great. 10-year warranty and 60-day money-back guarantee on these as well. Washable and dryable and a wide variety of colors and sizes. Visit MyPillow.com to learn more. Right now, 3 Martini Lunch listeners, all six-piece towel sets and Giza sheets, buy one, get one free. Just use the promo code MARTINI at checkout or call 800-874-0104. That's MyPillow.com, code Martini or call 800-874-0104 for buy one, get one free on all six-piece towel sets and Giza Dream Sheets. All right, Jim, you were talking a little bit earlier in the uh, immigration segment about the euphemisms that the media will use for what used to be kids in cages. Now it's jail-like facilities or whatever euphemism they want to use. But uh, words used to have meaning. Some of them still do, but now we're just getting more words that seem to be a lot of garbage. Every year, the dictionary, different dictionaries, Webster's, Merriam-Webster, Oxford, uh, they add new words. Sometimes they're actual words. Sometimes it's slang that have become so common that they actually put them in the dictionary. And now Dictionary.com's got a whole bunch of new words. They say 600 words they're adding to Dictionary.com, one of which, Jim, is supposedly... Yes, supposedly, which is an adverb to mean as may be assumed, imagined, or supposed. 
because the real word is supposedly. So, I mean, if they said it's a slang or a common uh, mispronunciation of supposedly, but it's just become so common, you can be like, it's not really a word, but I understand why you're doing it. But no, they've just basically decided that it means the exact same thing as the right word. And because so many people don't actually know the right word, we're just going to pretend that it is the right word. And so now this is legitimate as well. I don't know if this is uh, the dumbing down of America, but it's certainly the dumbing down of the dictionary. You know, Greg, I have to ask them a question. And I emphasize, <laughs> ask not ask them a question, ask, A-S-K. You know, there, there's a theory that to name something is to have a certain power over it. Uh, that, that if you can label something and you can get that label to stick, you can define how it is perceived and that you can effectively greatly influence how people think about it, how people... If you've ever seen the you know 1994 movie uh, Speechless, featuring Michael Keaton, Gina Douglas, and uh, ironically, you know, Christopher Reeve. So this, this really was Batman versus Superman long before that movie occurred. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, they have this, it's, it's ironically about the border. It's ironically about trying to keep people from coming across the border. I think the movie is set in New Mexico and they want to, cl- they want to uh, dig a hole. They want to dig this long trench that will prevent people from crossing it. And the Republican candidate under the being influenced by, advised by Michael Keaton comes up with the phrase, the friendship ditch. Because uh, good fences make good neighbors. And this is part of our friendship with Mexico is to dig the friendship ditch. And after a while, the media started adopting the phrase, the friendship ditch. This is a science fiction movie because the media plays along with a Republican narrative. <laughs> um, that would never actually happen. But uh, it was kind of this really interesting example. You can think of all the ways, like again, kids in cages, um, the number of times in which uh, particular policies can get things associated with them, right? So if you oh, dictionary.com, well, it must be the dictionary. Well, hold on a second. They're not the Oxford English Dictionary. They're not American Heritage. They're not Merriam-Webster. In fact, I'm going to become Lloyd Benson for a second. Dictionary.com, I know Merriam-Webster. Merriam-Webster is a friend of mine, and you're never going to be Merriam-Webster. <laughs> um, dictionary.com, I, they, they say they, they use one of the other, other big name brand dictionaries, but they're just, as far as I can tell, they're just some guys who decided to set up, who saw the URL, nobody claimed it back in the late nineties and this, you know, effectively kind of the, the, the land rush that was grabbing the good URLs and they set themselves up and they started doing that. And they knew that people would go to, you know, you, you type in dictionary into Google or back then, Greg, it might've been Alta Vista. Uh, <laughs> your, your search Netscape. browser there. Yeah. Netscape, right? Yeah. You go into it and you, uh, you know, you, you just get, people get used to defining it. And they were among the ones who quickly went in and changed. Um, oh, what was the term in the confirmation hearings? They changed, uh, there was a particular term where they said it was offensive and they added it the day the person, the nominee had used it. But anyway, dictionary.com appears to be the most politically attuned staff of any dictionary. I don't want the dictionary to change it very often. I don't like the idea that the definition of a word can change on a dime, right? Um, dictionary.com, as far as I'm concerned, is an off-brand pretender to the throne that just happened to get the best dictionary URL before any of the other big name brands could. Folks, we're talking about the Shasta Cola of word definitions. For those of you who are, you know, <laughs> or Stop and Shop or any of these other ones, if it's stuff your mom and dad would get, you're like, ah, I, mom, I wanted Coke. Or, you know, if you're in a, in a you know, malformed household, maybe you wanted Pepsi. But, uh, you know, this idea of, you know, you get these like generic store brand, dictionary.com is the, is the generic store brand. They have no authority. Nobody's like appointed them the, the, the word police. Uh, and so when they decide that supposedly is a word, 
I'm, you know, supposedly they're actually a dictionary. I don't think they are. And I think that when you look under the definition of dictionary, you should not see dictionary.com. Is it that hard to learn the right word? I mean, really. Uh, good news, bad news on on the uh, the hearing you mentioned, Jim. It was Amy Coney Barrett last fall. The, the term was sexual preference. Uh, and as soon as she used it and a bunch of Democrats and media folks uh, lit their hair on fire, uh, it was Miriam Webster, actually, that added the word offensive uh, to the dictionary. Stan corrected then. Wow, it was Miriam Webster. Oh, that's depressing. <laughs> so... Miriam Webster, 39 lashes for you, but uh, wow. Anyway, Jim, irregardless, we're going to go forward. Uh, <laughs> they never should have went in that direction. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> That's my personal uh, pet peeve that everybody seems to use is should have went. Should have gone. Uh, always gets my blood pressure up, but maybe I'm just a nerd. Jim, happy Monday. Happy Monday, Greg. See you tomorrow. <laughs> Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Please do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast and tell your friends about us. We love to get your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. They help us out a great deal. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast and follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Monday and please join us Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Joe Biden's immigration policies are already causing huge problems from stopping border wall construction, releasing criminals into our communities, exposing our children to them, to the desperate people being exploited by their cartels on their way into the United States. I'm Sarah Carter. On The Sarah Carter Show, we are following this issue very closely, and I'll share my expertise and my terrific sources to explain how this impacts our nation and our families. Subscribe to The Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.